Life is all about reaching your full potential and leaving behind a legacy that will affirm and guide the next generation. That's what The Higher You is all about, sharing stories of lessons, mistakes, triumphs, and success to inspire others to elevate themselves. Now, before we get into the episode, we got a quick little clip of a track from Ja Q called Love On You. And after that, we'll get right into the next episode. So thank you for tuning in and stick around. Hey everyone, my name is Jakari. And I am Jordan. And today we have with us the director, right? Yes. Of Diversity and Inclusion on Campus, Miss Stephanie Reed. Hey everybody. Yes. (laughs) So, Miss Stephanie, if you would just go ahead and introduce yourself, who you are, your background, your story. Definitely. So, um, I'm Stephanie Reed. I am the director of the Office of Diversity and Inclusion at William Peace. Uh, I've been doing this at Peace for roughly three years, um, but have previous experience at um, another institution directing an an Office of Diversity. Um, I have a background in higher education. My master's degree is in higher ed administration, which basically means like the business of higher education. Um, But I also have some corporate experience. I used to sell um, Marlboros. (laughs) <laughs> for Philip Morris um, many, many years ago. Um, so, yeah, I just have landed, returned back to higher ed because it's really, like, what keeps me up at night. It's legit, like, my passion. Um, Philip Morris was awesome. Like, I was definitely getting money. But it was very clear that it didn't drive me. The money wasn't enough to, like, make me really hustle. So I was pretty much like just an average salesperson. Mm -hmm. Um, And so once I became a mother, just decided that for the sake of like my wellness and being able to have a more flexible schedule and being present for Mm -hmm. the kids that I was going to be rearing, I returned to higher ed so that I could do what I love, but also have less... um, well, more of a work-life balance. Right. So that's just a little bit of my background. Right, right, right. 100%. So, um, so referring to, like, education, right, mm-hmm. um, being that you came from an HBCU, uh, what do you think is um, kind of, like, different about an HBCU as opposed to being here at a PWR? From a work perspective or, like, my student experiences? Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of hard for you to, like... Well, I mean, have I you like attended both. both? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So my undergrad degree is from an HBCU, Johnson C. Smith University. Stand up, <laughs> <laughs> JCSU. Um, that's in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, when I left there, I went directly to graduate school at a public white institution. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Indiana University of Pennsylvania. I don't rep them as much, but I did um, get a master's degree from IUP. Right. It's a small town outside of Philly um, called Indiana, Pennsylvania. So it's mm. it's a mid-sized public research institution. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I did graduate work there. While I was a graduate student, I had a job in the career services office, which was how I got into career counseling in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do have exposure to both environments. Um, my first real like grown up job within my degree was at the University of Georgia. So I have like legit, legit. Yeah. Um, that's like research Experience. one, D1, <laughs> um, huge institution. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned a lot about higher ed while I was there, but I also learned a lot about myself while I was there, which is why I am no longer there. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. So touch on the like the interactions that you had like as opposed to like did you see any clear cut things that you can say oh this is this kind of made me feel a specific way about being in an HBCU where you know you see yeah. people of, of your own skin color. Yeah, definitely. Like so 
so some of this now is really like in retrospect because I, I, I think at the time when I was making these decisions, I didn't have this insight, right? Mm-hmm. Like the longer I have been in it, uh, a professional in higher ed, it helps me to reflect on how I was feeling when I was experiencing all these different mm-hmm. environments. So, you know, being a student at HBCU is quite remarkably different from being an employee at a mm-hmm. PWI. It's also different than being mm-hmm. an employee at HBCU. True. So, at the end of the day, whether I'm employed at an HBCU or um, an alternate school, because there are other schools besides, um, I don't know if y'all need to check that, besides a, P- a PWI and HBCU, there's like minority serving institutions. All right, so <laughs> basically, um, going to HBCU to me is just like dope. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, what I think is sort of like a missing ingredient, um, being a student at a, another institution other than an HBCU, is like the pride and the spirit and like the swagginess. There's, there's like, and this is gonna sound bad, but to <laughs> me, there is like zero swag about attending. I'm sorry, y'all, about attending. Um, no, we agree. Other schools. We agree. Um, and I've even at Georgia, right? The University of Georgia is like phenomenal, mm-hmm. and the only pride though that I saw is connected to obviously like Bulldogs and right. the athletics. Um, anything else is really um, isolated or decentralized to like if you are Greek, then you mm. have pride for your Greek organization. Right. But that's still not about being at Georgia. And there are folks who do have like a deep connection to schools like Georgia. Mm-hmm. But that to me is more about the regional, like they just love Georgia. It's the flagship institution of the state. It's just not like a HBCU pride, <laughs> right? right. Um, at all, like people will go to an HBCU and not get a degree and still ride <laughs> for that school, and yeah. it's insane. Um, but it's bec- like, for instance, people like Tanasi Coates. Um, yeah. He it's calls Howard answer. the the mecca. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that is the feeling that you have when you engage on on those campuses. It's mm-hmm. not for everybody, mm-hmm. but some people just, you know go all in and it can be magical right right yeah and so how do you go about especially with all of your experiences from an hbcu and then having that experience not working you know working at other institutions Mm -hmm. how do you go about being authentic as an educator on campus and as the head of diversity and inclusion uh good question so that is more about right who i am as a person um my philosophy about work is slightly different than um then I think what's traditional, um, I just find it um, harder to not be authentic at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just think about it like this. It takes much more effort to be someone else mm-hmm. um, than it does to be yourself. Right, right. Um, and honestly, so I wouldn't have said this this way when I was 20, but like I'm clearly like fully grown. <laughs> so. No, yeah. I am no longer remotely um, asking for permission to take up space when I enter a room. Like, mm-hmm. I'm in the room because I'm supposed like to be in the room. <laughs> um, and it's not like I walk in the room and I'm like... Right, right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I try to minimize the neck rolls and all of those things. <laughs> uh, but as I said, it's I, I'm here for because I was asked to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly around my, my work. Mm-hmm. I, when you apply for jobs, like sometimes you're recruited, but at the end of the day, like it's a process, mm-hmm. and you are selected. So I, I just have this mindset, like y'all, y'all asked me to work here. <laughs> I mean, I applied, but yeah. ultimately, like you selected me mm-hmm. um, for a variety of reasons. I'm gonna need you to trust what you have charged me with. Right. Um, so for those reasons, it's not as difficult for me to try to be authentic. Mm-hmm. There is a balance between like, okay, I have to make sure I maintain professionalism. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, like therein lies the key, right? Yeah. This whole notion of like professionalism and authenticity, why are they separate? Why mm-hmm. is my mm-hmm. expression not professional right. to you? Right. Mm-hmm. Is it because it doesn't match 
your version of professionalism right. and who is that your mm. wow usually yes. that your is a white person setting a standard for a zillion other people yeah and i'm not here for that <laughs> that's right that's right that's beautiful yeah that was great yeah um so what do you feel are some like uh, myths or common misconceptions about diversity and inclusion oh gosh uh well i mean there's one that's just the typical um a lot of people think that this whole diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. thing is just about minorities mm. um, or marginalized people or oppression. It's not, it, it's so many things. Um, so diversity and inclusion uh, is about everyone. It's literally, yes, it grew out of a need um, for people who are uh, categorized as minorities mm-hmm. um, and not usually at that time, At you know, in the, beginning of all of this system developing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people of color were not always in spaces like this. We clearly were um, enslaved and all of that. So we had to work through that. And so because we came from a place of not being seen as um, equal, right. to say the least, that's really to say the least, mm-hmm. um, we now had to make space for people like us, African-Americans, now Hispanic, even, you know, indigenous people, um, Native Americans, spaces then had to be created um, intentionally uh, through some federal mandates and through other ways. But we have now evolved to a place where people shouldn't be thinking of diversity and inclusion that way. Um, At the end of the day, it's diversity and inclusion is part of everything. Uh, especially the inclusion piece, because there could be a room full of all white people that it just looks like it's not diverse, but all of those people have a variety of experiences and backgrounds Mm -hmm. and beliefs and philosophies and Mm -hmm. even like idiosyncrasies that we have to figure out how to uh, align um, if we're supposed to be teams. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that is really, diversity inclusion really is about organizational psychology. Yeah. I don't, I don't see them as vastly different. There, of course, there are some theoretical differences, and that's like a graduate course that we're not about to get into. <laughs> um, but it's really a piece of like human resources, organizational development, talent management. It's about business. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't have, I mean, you can have successful businesses to a degree without intentional diversity and inclusion, but you have much more success with, uh, with it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. And I think that's interesting. I just saw a tweet the other day that was just like um, this black guy and he was in tech, which is like predominantly white. And he was just like, I feel like I'm the diversity hire. And I'm just like, <laughs> right. wow. That's that's real. <laughs> yeah. That is real. Just like um, in other areas of tech or STEM, engineering even, mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of people of color. They just don't happen to be African-American. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's 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 levels to this yeah. <laughs> um, and everybody's needs around dni um are different right mm-hmm. yeah right yeah 100 and so how does that tie into your philosophy for diversity and inclusion since you don't want to have that outlook of just it coming from a marginalized place how mm-hmm. did how does that tie into your philosophy well it depends it really depends on where i am so I mean, currently I'm working at an institution that did not have an office um, that focused on this. Mm-hmm. So that drives how I do the work that I do. If I was at another institution that has had maybe like a multicultural affairs office or um, an African-American cultural center mm-hmm. or something uh, for years, because some of these offices have existed since the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Um, some of us are more late to um, make a space. Yeah. Um, so it, that will determine mm-hmm. like how I see the, the way the work needs to be done. Mm-hmm. I personally just think, um, and I, it's, it's about like what I care about. Mm-hmm. I care about people with similar experiences to myself. Not that I only care about African-Americans, yeah. to be clear. But I care about um, students wanting to access higher education and feeling like they are being bound by something. Like I'm not being given full access mm. to something that 
the media is telling me it's free. Right. Right. It's like everybody go get a college degree. Well, <laughs> you inviting everybody, but are you creating space yes. so that they can be there and be successful and then thrive, mm-hmm. be authentic, right? Not yeah. like come here and be just like us. Mm-hmm. That's I'm mm. not I'm not with that. Yeah. Um mm. so that also drives a little bit of what I do. Mm-hmm. So the office that I run currently I was very clear about when I established it and wrote the mission and vision that the office has a very specific focus on the needs, experiences, and um, resourcing for minoritized populations, people of color, uh, veterans, women, you know, because there was a need to make that space. Um, And those voices need to be amplified um, because the school is a majority um, white. Mm -hmm. Right, so that is going to be the focus, but I also do other things so that other people can engage in the office. I provide, Mm -hmm. obviously, education and training, resources so that we all understand how it is we function together and achieve inclusion because we can't be the only ones that know yeah. how to be inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and not everyone else. Right, right, right. So what are some like um, points that you kind of feel like are almost like similar across the board in which students need empowerment? Um, hmm, that's a great question. Um, advocacy skills, like self-advocacy, hmm. um, independent thinking. Oh, yes. Um, Jakar is in my class, so she knows I like I require people to use this thing called three before me. Mm-hmm. I just need students to like have some initiative and try to figure out things on their own first. Like, yes, you are in school to get you know assistance and to learn, but part of learning is doing. Right. And if every time you have a question, you expect me to give you the answer, what are you learning? Right. Um. So yeah, self advocacy. Um, initiative, taking initiative, problem solving, like leadership, those things are across the board, like necessary for young people to be successful. And so while, of course, I have a passion for people of color and queer people, right? Um, This is just what I do to be successful. I I love to just pour into young people, period. Mm -hmm. But I, I thrive, I get a lot more energy around young people who are hungry for it mm-hmm. not young people who are like well i know i'm supposed to do this I, listen go yeah. do it somewhere else um, <laughs> not while i'm at work though because <laughs> i have to serve everybody right <laughs> but I, you know you people drive you know you get driven or thrive off of synergy mm-hmm. so if i'm around people who you know we the vibe is similar mm-hmm. and because while I might be the elder in the room, like you all can teach me things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we we have similar interests. You might be reading something that I would be interested in. Just because I'm I've been on the earth longer doesn't mean I know all things, right? right. Uh, and that's not always the case um, in higher ed spaces. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there is this sort of ageism and yeah, um, kind of gatekeeping. Yeah, I'm not. I, that's my thing. <laughs> yeah. Why? The gatekeepers of knowledge and higher ed is like a thing and it really bothers me it's yeah I'm not gonna go off on that tangent <laughs> <laughs> I feel that yes yeah, so like events like having Dr. Salika McCoy come out and mm-hmm. Jamelevate which is how how this how, how this came about <laughs> that's it's good. just like how do you how are you intentional with those things especially um exposing students that might not be from a minority to these types of right events? right great question so people like uh, Dr. McCoy and Dr. Hodges. I've known Dr. Hodges for a, a much longer period of time. We worked, both worked at Georgia together. Uh, Dr. McCoy, I have brought into my network um, since I've been working at Peace. But when I find uh, people who, first of all, are um, highly engaging, charismatic, um, and then on top of that are scholars. I'm like, whoa, who, are, who is that person? <laughs> that's like a trifecta. Yeah, it's like, what are they talking about? What do you drink? Like, <laughs> I want what you are eating. <laughs> um, and so with that, I feel like if it's, if it's lit to me, I want to give other people the same experience. Yeah. Um, do I think people like uh, Jamel and Jamel Levay is for everyone? Well, I think it is. But everybody's not going to get it at first. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I what I do generally is try to um, listen 
um, and pay attention to what the students that I'm working with um, show me. So mm-hmm. I look for like gaps or voids mm-hmm. in knowledge and experience of students. Mm-hmm. And if I see those things in people like Jamel or Talika, then I'm like, let me bring you to campus. It's like a perfect right. gift. Right. So yeah. that I, you, I need you to show these students, first of all, your energy, um, your scholarship, and then help them to see themselves um, in what you do. Right. Because uh, right. you, if you don't see a thing, you don't know you could be that thing. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I want everybody to be like Jamel or be like Talika, but they have some characteristics and a lot of knowledge mm-hmm. that I think students can thrive off of. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, going into um, not only the knowledge aspect, but also like your experience, um, actually, how do you think... Um, the people who are like it's just going into my cup is in my cup <laughs> sorry i'm sorry no nah, you're good you're good um how do you think that the shift towards um entrepreneurship is affecting higher education oh man um i wish it was affecting higher education more than what it is to be honest um but in some ways, I think it's a, it could be seen as a detriment because, you know, there's a narrative now in society, in American society, yeah. um, that higher education is no longer a necessity, right? Or mm-hmm. it's like there's two narratives. You, there's still a, a large story that, like, you've got to get this, these degrees in order to, right. you know, make a decent living. Mm-hmm. But there is a narrative out there that's growing um, that higher education is like a scam, mm-hmm. like yes. a, a really big scam. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I get where, I get the I, the rationale. I, get, I see where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. I do not agree. I think that um, higher education um, and college experiences give you so many other things than the degree uh, that it don't it, that those things don't happen in other spaces mm. um entre- entrepreneurship is always going to exist um it really is to me this is connected deeply to capitalism mm. um i don't see capitalism going away in so, this country in particular no. <laughs> so um but i just think that higher education um needs to really examine itself uh, of course in higher ed, we teach um, industry um, people in the first place. We are where people come to get degrees to go out yeah. and lead. Yeah. Um, but I also think higher ed needs to think about functioning more and with entrepreneurial spirit um, in terms of how we engage right. our customers. Right. Um, and if we don't, I think we're, we are going to continue to lose a lot of customers. Mm. Um, I'm not sure. I feel like I told Jakari this before. Like, there's programs out there now. Like, I think it was it's the New York Times. Oh yeah. They have this program called like the Gap Year. It's like encouraging <laughs> high school students to not go to college mm-hmm. right away. Mm. Um, come work for our journalists. Obviously, they're going to be you know um, highly respected journalists. Mm-hmm. So why would you not want to work with them? Exactly. Right. And it's the New York Times, right? Mm-hmm. So why would you not? And you're work going with to them? New York of all places, right? <laughs> so it's like. You know, come work for us. Come work with us. Learn with us. Um, don't go to higher ed yet because you might not even really need to go. Um, and then when you dig into it, because to me, I looked at it like, oh, this sound decent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I did some clicking. <laughs> and when I got through to see, like, how do, how do you join? I, wanna, I might want to tell my cousins or my little sister or somebody mm-hmm. to look into this. It's like $20,000. So I was like, tell me why I should go get my degree if I'm still spending thousands of pounds right Um, so which one is the scam I'm not sure right Right. but at the same time another way to look at it though is are they on the right do they have are they onto something Mm -hmm. right is it should we be thinking more about um, giving students skills teaching people trades instead of like making people sit through um, courses that they don't see as relevant when the world of work is shifting so drastically. Mm. Uh, those, so those are the things about higher ed right. that yeah. that still need some work. Right? Yeah, they've they've definitely uh, like going into your gap year. I, I think that 
the one that I saw was Year Up, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it's for college students or like community college and stuff like that, and you mm-hmm. do the same exact thing. Um, and you know, I think that just like you're saying, in, in a world that's changing so exponentially, like they're just right. they they want real people who are gonna go into the field and know who right know what's going on right. So it's definitely necessary. Right, and if you look at what's in the media. Um, we're always being shown, well, I shouldn't say always, we're shown more people who have become hugely successful without degrees than mm-hmm. we are people who are learned, yeah. for lack of a better word, right? Yeah. Or who, right. who are academically trained, um, who also blow up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we tend to pay more attention to the Jay-Z's, the Diddy's, the Gary, do y'all know who Gary Vaynerchuk? Oh yeah, is? Gary, Gary V. Yeah. yeah, like I don't know how to say his last name. Gary V. Vayner, I love Vayner Gary V. Yeah. I don't even. I don't know if he has a degree. Actually, I just know how he feels about higher ed right now, and it's like, no, yeah. <laughs> it sucks. Um, yeah. So unless we, it's STEM, I think he's like. Well, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Um, just for things that are necessary, like if you're just going for like. Because he know, wants psychology. to invest in it. That's why. Well, yeah, right. That's true. Yeah. But see, here's the here's here's the problem I have with that. Without psychology, like, and we have to understand how people function. Right, that is, psychology is the study of human behavior, mm-hmm. right. um, the study of people um, is sociology, right? So, we still have to understand those things, even with artificial intelligence coming mm-hmm. um, on the horizon. It's not even on the horizon anymore. It's like there. right here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right here. That's um, but it's, I, it's unless. Humans are about to like completely go away. <laughs> yeah, um, which is another podcast for another yes. time. Um, we have a couple episodes coming up. <laughs> <laughs> we we still have to know how to work uh, with people. Uh, there are some real qualities of a liberally educated person that will remain, I think, um, across time. Mm-hmm. And that's just a matter of opinion. Okay. Uh, there are there's some brilliant scientists, um, engineers in the world who would would fall to pieces if I wanted to shake their hand right now, mm-hmm. who could not look me in the face um, and have a conversation but might be able to cure my illness. Right. So I think the best of both worlds to me is much more appealing. Right. Yeah, like I think that was interesting when I first got in your class and I told you this, you were the first teacher I ever heard talk about multiple streams of income talk about a side hustle, right? Um, talk about like actually having a career that fulfills you. Mm. And that shouldn't be like extraordinary. It shouldn't. Right. And I, so I think it, I don't think that it is extraordinary. I don't think that, uh, I just think that in the walls of academia, mm-hmm. um, faculty members have a job to do. Yeah. So I am not a faculty member. I am an administrator who mm. also dabbles and teaches some classes. Yeah. Um, that's the difference, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so this is part of what I mean by higher education has to figure out our identity um, as an industry. Um, it should be more acceptable for faculty members to, while teaching you theoretical frameworks and yeah. you know philosophical things and ethics, to also pay attention to what is happening in the world around us. Like the economy is shifting. So I don't care how much you can philosophize, (laughs) if you don't know how to invest and save money, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what are you going to do? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we we need all of these things. Yes. Yeah. I think they balance each other out a lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so what are your side hustles or what fulfills you? Because, you know, you talked about shifting from, you know, you were making money with the cigarette company, but right. that didn't fulfill you. Right. So how, what fulfills you? What are your side hustles? What is your mission? Um, my mission, and I definitely have one. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to figure out how to say it succinctly. Ultimately, my mission is for um, particularly young people to think of work differently, uh, just to put it simply. Um, My side hustles are about, are connected to that. So it's sort of like the two sides of my brain, like the the academic part of me and then the business part of me. Um, I think it's a good marriage between the two Mm -hmm. because I do think, I I think higher education is, 
it's just a phenomenal experience once you experience it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also find that um, there has to be some business acumen being taught. And I like to dive into all of those things with young people. Um, And work is going to shift over time a number of ways, um, the world of work. So I think it's important for um, young people in particular to understand how to pay attention to all that while still, like you have a goal for being in school, right? Mm -hmm. But you also have the ability to see what's happening on the peripheral. Whereas some people are like, nope, I'm I'm an accounting major. (laughs) I gotta work for the big five, big four, whoever. I don't even pay attention to that anymore. I gotta work for an accounting firm. if I don't pass this, you know, test, I'm not gonna get that. And it becomes this um, self-fulfilling prophecy where, let's say, you don't pass that um, licensing exam, it, some people really fall apart. Yeah. And that, to me, is is very sad. So that's the part that kind of drives me and keeps me up at night. I like for people to have some fire in their belly about something. Mm-hmm. And if you also happen to be good at numbers then let's figure out how you can be an accountant while also doing what, you know, um, fuels that fire in your belly. Mm -hmm. Because it might not be the accounting loss. Mm -hmm. Um, It might be climate change. Um, (laughs) But companies who are trying to fight climate change or work within climate change need accountants. Mm -hmm. Um, So people have to figure out how to marry all the parts of them. It goes back to that piece about being authentic at work and work. I just think we have been socialized in sort of robotic ways and it's not helping us as a country like move forward and be stay the leader mm-hmm. in the world. Right. And that might sound very like um, Republican, <laughs> which I'm not. I just am a thinker. I think mm-hmm. about life. I think about things and I want young people to understand their space and their place in the world and be able to look around the world like, okay, so this is what I'm doing and that's what you're doing. How do we do that together? How do our worlds overlap? Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm getting money over here how, and you get money over there, um, maybe we could get money together, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, money is also shifting, yes. form, the forms of money. So if you're not paying attention to that, you're gonna get left behind. It's, it's happening in the country now. There are people who are older, um, who were socialized and trained to find a trade, do that job, work for this company for 50 years and retire. But while you working for 30, 40, 50 years, the world is changing and the company's like, oh, we got to close. And now right. you don't know what to do. Right. And right. That's, that's dangerous. That's the yeah. worst place to be. But that's where a lot of... Americans are and this is not about like politics mm-hmm. I, this is how I see the world it's really sad when you know adults seek me out and when I was much younger I used to have a real hard time wrapping my brain around like how am I gonna help this person who's like 50 and mm-hmm. I'm like 30 like yeah. mm-hmm. what am I gonna tell them about the world but that's why I said to y'all like there's things y'all can teach me mm-hmm. we should always just be learning Right. Just always learning. Constantly. I hope I answered your question. I was all over the place. No, 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 that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> all right. So with all that being said, um, what's what's like the legacy that you want to leave behind? Mm. Well, first and foremost, it's like deeply connected to my children, um, and and then my you know uh, other family. Mm-hmm. I just am driven by, especially once I became a mother, it was just important for my children to see me working all the time mm-hmm. um, and not in like a robotic like slave mentality way yeah. but like not if I'm awake there is something that I should be doing um, whether it's learning um, physically doing something it's just important to you know not waste the time that we are blessed with while we on earth because mm-hmm. it's limited um, so I just would like for my children to um, see me um, both like live out my purpose, mm-hmm. earn a living, um, and provide for them, mm-hmm. but um, maybe a little different than how I was raised. Um, no shade to like my parents and grandparents because they they made me. Mm-hmm. Without them, I would be nothing. Okay. But mm-hmm. they also like 
were they had careers or they were like wives and that was what they did um, but I want my children to know that there is more to life than like finding a mate having some babies yeah. Um, what is your purpose in the world and just always be doing something to fulfill that purpose mm-hmm. so that's my that's the legacy I hope that I'm leaving for my kids but then also it drives what mm-hmm. I do in my side hustles and how I engage with young people mm-hmm. even when my in, in my nine to five jobs in higher ed mm-hmm. um, major in what you're gonna major in that's cool but life's gonna change and you might not even do that work right. in two more years um, mm-hmm. but do something I've had bouts of unemployment myself, and I just, that's really what I think sparked my entrepreneurship, because mm-hmm. I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had babies, I, I left Philip Morris, and then I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the world gives you opinions, right? There was always people telling me like, girl, you got to go work at Walmart uh, until something happens, or you, you know, you need to do this. Right. And I was just, there was always something in me like, y'all don't know what I need. Like, mm-hmm. I am the creator know what I need. And I don't need all this extra commentary. Exactly. Exactly. So I like to teach other people to have that kind of psyche and, and know how to find the connections that are out there for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And so what is some advice that you would give to your younger self or young black woman that, you know, have your story, may have gone through what you've gone through or yeah. all of that? Um, wow, it's, it's funny. Um, I literally, like, I'm in the practice of, like, I, I used to really be heavy into self-help. Mm-hmm. So over time, I've, like, written myself letters mm-hmm. that I still have and I, like, read from time to time. So I do this, it's not just like, I don't just talk about it, I actually do it. Um, So my younger self, I would say like, girl, calm down. (laughs) (laughs) It's gonna be okay. Um, Because I used to think when I was in my 20s, like, what am I doing? I'm so lost in the world, like, I'm so broke, Mm. what's happening? Um, And obviously now I'm like, it was coming, you didn't even know it was coming. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's. It's to like trust yourself, trust the process. If you are a believer, like trust the Lord. Yes. That's a real listen. That's real. Yes. For me, anyway. Mm-hmm. I, agree, I agree. Um, yeah, like those are the things I would say um, to younger women. Um, I would add a little more to that because I have always been a very confident person. Like even as a child. Um, when I'm talking, I mean, I'm talking like baby, baby. My parents tell me that I used to buck at them. Like, what? I mean, not, <laughs> not in disrespectful ways, but like yeah. when my siblings would be disciplined, mm-hmm. I would come up, I would like look at my parents like, I mean, you got beef? Right. Right. Like, yes. We talk about it as a family, we laugh about it, but when I think about, I'm like, wow, I'm really hardwired for this. That's mm-hmm. why I go so hard for young people now. I I don't like bullies. I don't like people being told what to do. Like, people need to figure it out for themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's always been a driver for me, and I didn't know that. Um, so I just like for people, young people in particular, to pay attention to what your core is telling you right. um, and try to find ways to decipher and discern for yourself, whether it's meditation, whether it's reading, writing, just figure it out you have to turn off the world though yeah Mm. a lot of the times in order to do that yeah definitely yeah yeah i think that turning off the world is especially in this day and age of uh media yeah our generation growing up with literal personal assistance (laughs) right um it's very difficult Um, that's true and wanting to blow up on the internet uh, yes which is it's not that's not not a bad bad thing thing. right (laughs) but People are on TikTok like, oh my God, I got 2000 I'm like, man, <laughs> right. come on. And I didn't even think TikTok was, because my kids are on TikTok. They mm-hmm. have been for a long time. Like, I, people are talking about TikTok now, and I'm like, y'all late. Like, <laughs> my kids have been doing TikTok. Well, not doing it, but watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's like, wow, TikTok is a way people are, like, trying Making to... careers. Yeah. Yeah, they're getting flown out and right. endorsements and for all this good stuff. Those are... Uh, listen, that's not going to happen for everybody, to yeah. your point. So people have to, um, and it, but it could happen if people are focused in more internally. Like if I'm working my purpose, um, the opportunities are going to present themselves. I don't have to chase them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, don't chase the money. Chase your purpose. Yeah. Chase your passions. Um, serve others. Mm-hmm. If you do that, then the world is going to open itself up to you in ways that you probably never even thought about. Right. Um, and it's hard. I will admit, like when I was 17 and, you know, 18 and then 20, even 25, I wasn't thinking about that. Well, I wasn't thinking like the world is my oyster. <laughs> I wasn't on that. Yeah. Um, but I was centered in other ways through religion, through um, I have a deep family connection. And my family always, you know, even now, like my family thinks I'm like rebellious because I am. <laughs> Um, I talk a lot, I talk back a lot. I'm very opinionated in the family, mm-hmm. but I, I never was apologetic for that. Even mm-hmm. as a child, I, if I asked why, of course I had a mom that was like, girl, first mm-hmm. of all, who you talking to? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. um, mm-hmm. Until I got older. Um, but I, now as a mother myself, when my daughter asked me why, depending on how she asked the question. I actually engage with them, I converse with them about why our family is making these financial decisions. Mm-hmm. Those were things that we were shut out as um, when I was younger in that mm-hmm. generation. You know, my mom, I never knew what my mom did, um, how much money she made. My kids don't know how much I make because that is not their business. But they know that we are not hurting. Mm-hmm. I just knew nothing, like, right? So we would move apartments and I would just be like, what? Let me get my on? stuff. <laughs> Uh, for real, right? For real. Um, and it got to a place where I was grown and I was making decisions like picking benefits packages. And I'm like, I have never talked to my mom about like how to even earn five dollars. Right. So how I'm gonna call her now and ask her about like a 401b mm. versus a like mm. what? Mm-hmm. And then in some t- in some circumstances, you know, again, no shade, mama. I love mama. She is the bomb. Yeah. But there are some things that I just can't call her for, and that's okay. Um, but I just want different for my kids. Right. And I also want different for the kids that I encounter <laughs> <laughs> in my work. That is really why I show up every day. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. So do you think that um, like your experience with your family changed your outlook more? Or was it becoming a single mother that changed your outlook on how you wanted to approach like the youth? Mm, that's a really deep question. So, before I was a mother, and then adding the layer of being a single mom to that, like, I still had these passions. Um, They they probably just manifested in other ways. Um, I was still somebody that advocated for, like, people reading things other than, like, magazines. Um, Because we didn't have blogs and Facebook and all. We didn't have none of that. We was like, read a book. Or a magazine. That's it. That's it. <laughs> People read digital newspapers now. I'm like, what? I, yeah, I do. I'm, I admit, I'm, I've joined the bandwagon. Um, but I've always had some of these internal drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, what happened, and it's funny, I had a girlfriend who told me, like, we worked at Philip Mars together. And when I had my first, because that's where I started having kids, y'all. <laughs> I was making money. I was having a good time. Um, I'm not even telling y'all no lies. Like I, <laughs> it was little bit. It was little I was living my best yes. life, um, and then I became a mom, and it was like, oh, okay, I got a whole other person to think like about. think yeah. of, not just think about, but like do everything for. Um, and something just clicked in my brain, and my friend who I worked with at Philip Morris. She was like, you know, sometimes I hear, like, I read things, and I find that, like, when mothers, when you become a mother, like, so many moms all of a sudden become entrepreneurs. Mm. And that was when the term, like, mompreneur was being coined. Mm. And she was like, yo, check this out. It's something called mompreneur. Like, now that you got this little girl, like, what you going to do? Like, how else you going to make money? Because we can't rely on this corporate company. (laughs) Like, she was putting me on. I didn't know. I was just like, listen, I'm going to have my, my little girl going to be cute. I ain't worried about all that right now. <laughs> I was like yes. thinking selfishly and she was putting me on. I had mm-hmm. no idea. Mm-hmm. And that's literally what happened. Like I had my daughter and I was still working for Philip Morris, still making money, still being, I honestly, for Jakari, I feel like I, I'm talking to you, but like we no, talk good. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't making good financial decisions. Mm-hmm. Like. And I was with a company who was trying to help me. Like the company was like, when are you gonna buy a house? And I was like, 
I ain't working for y'all forever. I'm not buying no house down here. I was very um, frivolous. Um, Even when I had her, I was still like, we just balling out here. Like me and my baby girl, we so fly. And I was having a great time. Then her brother came and I was like, Slow the road. Okay. <laughs> um, we need some uh, sustained. How is this going to be sustained? Right, right, right. Um, so I started to think more. Um, I still was like, I'm not going to live. I was living in the South, in South Carolina. Hmm. Uh, I, I made that face because I thought I would never, ever live in South Carolina. And my um, company was like, well, if you want to work for us, got to come to South Carolina. <laughs> this is where we putting you. Wow. So that's how I ended up there. But... I always had that in the back of my mind. Like, I never wanted to be here in the first place. So, as soon as I'm done with y'all, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, so, once I had my second child, it really clicked. Like, okay, I have to... What am I doing in the world? Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was important that I was selling cigarettes. And I didn't think my kids would care that I was selling cigarettes. I didn't want to raise spoiled kids. And I was making so much money that I felt like, if I keep them in this, I'm not going to like them. <laughs> I am not going to like who they become. That's real. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention, because I was in South Carolina, I was away from everything that was at my core. Mm-hmm. Mom, dad, sisters, brothers. I still had, you know, grandparents. And I was like, how? The way I was raised was so bomb. Like, I need them to have the same thing. Mm-hmm. So we just left Philip Mars, went back to Philly, and just, it, everything just kind of, coalesce and it wasn't me i think it was god like god was like thank you for coming back because i didn't send you god did not send me to philip morris i made that decision for me because i was being greedy Mm -hmm. i wanted money i just wanted to i did want to learn about business but it was a money driven decision Mm -hmm. and i think the lord was like finally Mm -hmm. now let me set you up how you're supposed to be set up out here Mm -hmm. that's kind of what happened Mm -hmm. um i never really told anybody this before like this is real Mm -hmm. like how i came to have all these um, side hustles, passions. It was because I became a mom and wanted them to to just have better. And not just financially, but um, just wellness as, a, yeah, as, like as people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so I'll tie two questions into one just because I know you got, you got time running. But how do you feel about the feminist movement and how does that tie into... Um, how you see the community as a whole as far as organization because you just touched on your friend putting you on but mm-hmm. you don't always see that with people's friends maybe they're not you know they see you up and they're like mm, mm. look at you <laughs> listen I mean I still see that that mm-hmm. happens um, wow but I never really put it together with the, like the feminist movement mm-hmm. I, I just happen to always gravitate to other adult women, mm-hmm. right? Y'all have heard the saying, like, you should you should surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. If you are the yes. smartest person in the room, change the, Yeah, go yeah, to another room. Yeah. Exactly. So, and I, I didn't know what I was doing then. I just, that's what drives me now. Mm-hmm. And I've always gravitated to women um, who were like me, who are outgoing. I'm not even an extrovert, like... Go figure. I, I I actually prefer to be alone and just like chill, but I I turn up a little bit, not even intentionally when I'm around people who are like highly intelligent, mm-hmm. who are readers, thinkers, um, challenge the status quo. Um, when I'm around people who are just like, no, but this is how we're supposed to do it. I'm like, we're. I'm out. <laughs> she said, oh, I'm I'm out. Out. <laughs> <laughs> That's legit. Like how I, feel. I might not do it at work all the time, mm-hmm. but actually, in some ways, I do. And you, sometimes you don't even know it. Like my coworkers will, will tell you, we might be in a meeting and they could tell when you know we just talking that same old sh- shit. Mm-hmm. And um, I get to a place in the meeting where I'm like, we either we either gonna change the way we're doing it, or we're gonna do it the same way. If we're gonna do it the same way, I don't need to sit here with you for another sixty minutes to. Do, I already know how to do right, it. Right, right. So what are we doing? Like right. I just, if something clicks in my mind, I don't have a lot of patience for not challenging a status quo. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just find women who are similar, mm-hmm. um, and that's good. Luckily, luckily, lucky for me, I think. Um, as far as the feminist movement, my honest answer is that I don't. 
feel like it has always applied to us, like women of color. Like yeah. that's that was actually the root of the question. Okay, you know, because <laughs> because I, I was um I was speaking to Jakari before um just stating how you know the beginning of the feminist movement was for white women. So right. and then I spoke to um who's the young lady who works here from NC State? I can't remember her name. There's a couple people in my office. Yeah, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. That's my grad intern. Yeah, yeah. What I so, miss? I was speaking to Liz. Shout out, shout out. <laughs> for real, for real. I was speaking to Liz, and um, we were just speaking about how, like, um, in the LGBTQ center, not until the third wave were, um, you know, black women or black trans gay um, right. people let right. into their community. Right. Because it was so white empowered. And the same thing for the feminist movement. Right. Um, so as a black woman, how do you, f- like, how do you look at that group knowing its history? Well, I don't, I try not to, to dwell on that mm-hmm. because honestly, I, you, that same question can be applied to like, how do I look at the world? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm not supposed to be here, period. Like, our people are from Africa. So I just don't even dwell. It's like, listen, I was born in Philly. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, not to say that I don't think about where I come from because I do. Right. Um, but I try not to get lost in like, oh, white women over here doing their thing, black women over here doing our thing. I just happen to be more deeply connected to women of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also buy into um, the fact that there is no single level oppressed. Like we're all oppressed in different ways. Right. Um, and when I say all, I'm actually not talking about white people. To be clear, um, white people are not oppressed, but white people do experience discrimination, mm-hmm. which is a very different thing. So when I talk about oppression, um, many different types of people are oppressed, and mm-hmm. all oppression sucks ass. Like, it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry, I get real turned up about this kind <laughs> of stuff. Um, no oppression is, is acceptable. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I just happen to ride a little harder for black women, because, right. I mean, hello. Right. Yeah. As you should. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then to take it to like the academic level, I once I came to know who Bell Hooks is, it was like, do y'all know who Bell Hooks is? Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure. Put us on. For real, for real. She is um, an African American um, uh, female, obviously, um, author. She has written about um, the black feminist movement and black women issues forever Mm. um she also obviously because of that is still someone that is referenced in diversity and inclusion work so check her out okay yes yes once you read something from bell hooks it's like the way you think about things shifts right yeah i also love the me between me and the world by Tanahasi. Tanahasi, yes. Oh, Between the world great, and me, yeah. yes. Great book. Yes. yes, absolutely. Which leads us to our next question. <laughs> Is there a person or a book that you came across that completely shifted? Listen, changed? I had to write this thing down. <laughs> so actually, um, so I wrote Bell Hooks, Ain't I a Woman for something else. Mm-hmm. Um, That's one of her early works. You mentioned um, Dr. Coates. Um, so this is also a thing like people of color in our community sometimes we don't give reverence to our to each other mm-hmm. um so people talk about Tanahasi Coates Tanahasi Coates and I'm not sure if he's a doctor I need to find out for myself but if he is a doctor like I think we need to address him as such right, right. right? Mm-hmm. like we tend to say like oh Tanahasi or Obama or mm-mm President Barack Obama, <laughs> Dr. Yes. Tanahasi Coates. Like, they yeah. put in the work mm-hmm. and you need to pay homage. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, I actually wrote his current book down as mm-hmm. something that was a book that really moved me recently. And it was surprising because it's a work of fiction. Oh, wow. His book called The Water Dance is his most mm-hmm. recent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read it last semester. And I read it thinking, like, oh, this is about to be fiction. I'm about to read it for leisure. Like, it's going to be enlightening, but right. I'm just, it's going to be a good time kind of read. Right, right, right. But I was like deeply moved. Like, just, I should have known because it's time to have to But I was like, in my feelings, like, man, you talking about spirituality and like, um, I don't want, if y'all haven't read it, I don't want to tell you too much. 
Because now I feel like I have to go buy this book. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm going to. Right. Um, I didn't think that what he wrote about in that book would resonate so deeply in my core. Mm. Um, and the the themes that emerge while you read that book, um, those themes are why I'm here. It's mm. really about the African-American experience from slavery to like just reach one, teach one kind of thing. Right, right. And I don't even know if that's how he intended it, mm-hmm. but that's how it hit me. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I first read this question, there's a book a long time ago when I was like an actual, I was a baby. <laughs> I probably was like 18. Because mm-hmm. uh, in my first year of college, I was um, I was deciding to leave college and my college um, counselor mm-hmm. um, gave me this book called Life on the Edge. It's by somebody named Dr. James Dobson. Um, And it's been revised over the years. I think the most recent version has a subtitle called, like, it's Life on the Edge, The Next Generation's Guide to a Meaningful Future. So that book, that book broke me down um, in ways that I didn't ever, I didn't think it would. And I read something and it's reading you. Yes. <laughs> or just guiding you. And mm-hmm. I feel like, well, because if she was my counselor, like psychological counselor, I think she just knew my internal battles. Mm-hmm. And so she wrote a message to me because she knew I was leaving school and I was not coming back. So she wrote this message on the inside cover and she gave it to me. She wrote her phone number in there. She was like, little girl, read this. <laughs> um, go get your life. Mm-hmm. Call me if you got any questions. Mm. And when I read the book, it just, it's like a flower opening up. I was like, yo, (laughs) I'm supposed to be thinking about purpose. It's about young people, not just being out here frivolously, frivolously, just, you know, finding meaning in life. Mm -hmm. And nobody outside of like pastors and, you know, sermons Mm -hmm. really broke it down before. And it's, I'm going to tell you the truth. It's not like this highly complex academic book at all but it definitely was the book that legit changed the course of my life right yeah i think that's key like how you're saying like pastors are just saying this i think people think when you go and find your purpose you can't live your best life at the same time like now you got to be someone different right but right. that's not that could be further from the truth right and it does have a he's a he is a older white republican <laughs> Like, so as a grown person, when I look back at what I read, I'm like, how did I even come to believe what he believes? Mm. But that's just how the world works. Like, we set up to think because he's a white and Republican, he can't help me. But that's lies. That's lies. Like, Mm. everything that he was spitting in that book, I was like, yo. (laughs) I mean, I probably apply it very differently, you know, with a little more swag, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You know how we do. But I just think that that's the purpose of life. Like, God's people, we are supposed to all be helping each other. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter, like, how, where you came from. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's a need, then you feel the need until he calls you home. Like, that's what it's about. Truly. Truly. I would love to keep talking to y'all. I know y'all probably got a couple more questions. Yes. Well, the last question is actually, what would be your affirmation to really just encompass this conversation, journey, yeah. and all that? And then we're, we're out of here. So I, there's two. One that came to mind right away is because of the time that we're in. Like, it's the last day of Black History Month. So <laughs> um, the one that people, you tend to see it, like, on Google and stuff. Like, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. Like, sometimes mm. you just have to speak that into your life because mm. life is hard. And we we have our own struggles, like, modern-day struggles. Yeah. But these are nothing compared to what our ancestors yeah. dealt with. Like, yeah. when I say that to myself, it just wipes the slate clean. Like, girl, you don't got no yeah. problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's real for me. And then... The one that's a lot more common and I say to myself over and over because it's actually part of my businesses and my side hustle is that I am creating my own success. Yes. Mm. I'm not looking for somebody else to tell me what success is. I am I am the creator of my success. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. it. Well, we want to thank you. Of course. For hopping on. and just, It was a pleasure. Yeah. Just being a light <laughs> yes. here at Peace. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. Hey, you doing it. I appreciate y'all. We appreciate, appreciate you, you too. And so, uh, yeah, anything you want to say? Um, no, just 
Thank you. Thank of you. course. All right. <laughs> Let me know y'all when we come back. <laughs> yes, we definitely do a part four, five, six, seven. Fly away, I love when you dance, baby. Let our carries fly away, I love when you dance, baby. Let our carries fly away, save our troubles.